Smith has it. Knicks down three. Should the Bulls foul? No. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. On the road. All right. Recording this 12.07 Black Friday. Me and Nolan back on the pod, as always. Episode three. But today we're joined by a very special guest, the first guest of season two, uh, contributor for the Strickland, uh, you know, part of Nick's Twitter. Uh, Stacy, tell them what's up, man. How you been? Doing pretty good. Uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, hope uh, everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to open up the conversation and ask you, uh, you know, the Knicks right now, they're 10 and 8 uh, roller coaster basketball for us Knicks fans. But uh, what, what's your opinion on this Knicks season so far? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it hasn't been boring. <laughs> Let's start with that. Um, sure. Um, I think that after last year, here's the thing, right? Last year, there were a couple of surprising wins, particularly late. But the Knicks, generally, if you had to paint the arc of the season, uh, they beat a lot of teams that weren't that great. And then they were competitive, but not quite good enough to get over the top against most of the good teams they faced. Late in the season, again, they beat the Clippers. They beat the Lakers once. <clears throat> they played the Lakers tough again. Uh, they had the Jazz win early in the year, the Austin Rivers game. So there mm -hmm. were moments like that. But, you know, we saw it in the Hawks series that the Knicks are going to get, like Tibbs is going to get the most out of that team. But against good teams, there's not enough. <clears throat> the script has been flipped this year, right? Where game to game, there's high variance. Within games, right? The first quarter, sometimes yeah. they look like beautiful offense. Third quarter doesn't happen, right? Um, but I think that was the trade-off that was made. People are focusing on the defense. But even more than that, it's just a style of play that is more obviously perimeter-oriented, more moving parts. But when you have more moving parts and guys who don't need the ball, we, we always talk about that as a positive, but the downside is those kind of guys can sometimes drift a little bit and float. Uh, I think that applies particularly to Fournier, but it's always applied to RJ more than I think people have wanted to admit because he's, That's I right. think, after, especially after Duke, where I think he got a lot of criticism for, you know, being the lead guy next to Zion and not getting enough. I think he tries to not try to dominate the ball and, and sometimes that can lead to him drifting or, or seeing a little detached. So overall, I think that was a necessary step to get where we want to go, which is ultimately competing with the good teams. So in the short term, what you're seeing is that high variance. But when we've played good teams, um, we haven't really been uncompetitive in a game, right? Um, no, nah, I don't know. Yeah. I believe all of has been really close. Yeah, like the Bucks game, they ended up winning, I think, by 13. But um, so if you look at it from that standpoint, it's still the right trend. It's just mm -hmm. bumpy and more uncomfortable than, uh, than I think a lot of Knicks fans would like. But uh, definitely curious to both your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, to me, I feel pretty much the same way you do. I mean, I think that over the past few games, we've seen the defense improve a lot, which, I mean, I think that's – I was never really that worried about that with Tibbs because I said on our last pod, just like if there's one area of the team that I trust Tibbs to improve on in the season, it's improving at defense. So, like, all those players, you know, adjusting to different roles – Randall being a little more, you know, less the focal point, but still having to get that and just RJ kind of adjusting to even a lesser role maybe than he had last year. Last year. But, I mean, they started off the year worse than this last year. 
like you said, we beat like Philadelphia twice, which is like the first time I think we beat Philly in like a thousand something days was yeah. the first one. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we're playing well against the good teams and there is that variance that you were talking about, but I think the more that this starting lineup gels and the more consistent Fournier can get with his shot and just like the continuity between that starting lineup, I think that we'll start to see some, some of those issues go away and you're already starting to see it go away on the defensive end. Yeah, for sure. I, I 100% agree with Nolan's sentiment right there. I think last year we started 11 and 14. So, you know, I mean, the way we're starting this year, at least we're in competitive. I like the way Randall, you know, at times he's he's trying to, you know, play within the offense, uh, trying to stay away from that ISO ball. But, you know, one thing that's really been a storyline for this team is the third quarter. Um, you know, uh, coming out the third quarter, sometimes we seem a little bit flat. I believe this coaching staff is too good to th- for this to be a consistent problem throughout the season. Um, you know, every, it seems like every third quarter, if you look at your phone, it seems like Nick's Twitter is burning. Uh, Nick's fans are, are literally burning it to the ground. Um, what are your thoughts uh, on the on the third quarter uh, coming out? I mean, it, it is a huge topic, and if we expect to compete like we're supposed to, uh, that can't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean. I think last year there was an easy scapegoat. Um, I, I I wouldn't call it a scapegoat. I think the starting lineup in general last year was a normal space and it had to do a lot with the point guard position. Mm-hmm. That is a contributing factor this year, obviously. Um, but I also think I wonder how much, given that it's two years in a row and I did not pay this close attention to those Bulls teams with Thibodeau. Uh, and I think Minnesota was just kind of a hot mess uh, for some partly Tibbs, the GM caused those, but I think it was a lot out of the control of Tibbs, the coach. So I try to view his coaching tenure there with a grain of salt, but I do wonder how much of it is at halftime, other teams make adjustments uh, and Tibbs isn't really anticipating those immediately. That's part of it. Um, part of it, I think is he plays the stuff. I mean, people don't want to talk about this and I'm, I've generally never been part of the minutes police. Um, like, I don't care if Randall plays 36 minutes, uh, but there, you know, there is a cost, I think, to playing just the same lineup for eight, 12 minutes in a row. Yes. Because you're not getting frequent breathers, right? And so I think a lot of the times the starters come out flat um, or, you know, uh, you, you see them that when the first quarter, they might have a lot of ball movement. We've seen them execute pretty well as a unit in the, in the first half, right? Think about that Absolutely. Boston game early in the year. Uh, but third quarters, they just seem to come out flat. The ball movement stagnates. And then on the other end, the other offense has made some adjustments. Um, and the last thing is, I think, um, yeah, like I've tried to be very hands. I think people saying Kemba's worse than Elf. I don't just, I don't, I don't agree with that take. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, because I think the spacing <laughs> matters more than, um, than some of his shortcomings. But mm-hmm. that said, you do wonder, you know, a guy who is playing starters minutes, um, who is, in a declining physical shape, you know, how, how is that impacting him? Um, and I think third quarters, it, it seems to be with, when the, when the offense stagnates, it is more, it goes to Randall ISO, but I think there's more cause and effect or the cause and effect isn't as cut and dry as people want to make it. There's lots of times the other guys aren't moving around as much. So it becomes Randall ISO. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it goes both ways. 
Um, but having said that, I think recently there's been some more encouraging development. The third quarter against the Lakers was obviously bad, but that started in the second quarter. I was yeah. very encouraged by their performance on both ends against Chicago because the way that first mm-hmm. half had gone, I was like, all right, we like fought. We didn't play well. We're still in it. But this is usually in the third quarter where the other team, you know, steps up. And the Knicks took the lead. They took a six-point lead. Yeah. Credit Chicago for coming back. But they, they did it against our bench, too, which is usually harder. Um, mm-hmm. But I was very encouraged by that third quarter. Um, and I think, um, you know, I, I think that that's going to be important against good teams. Because you see the great, you know, the Knicks have been defined by third quarter collapses. But the great teams are defined by the opposite. The Warriors forever have been known to just step on people's throats. The Suns have a bit of that identity this year. So tonight will be interesting to that end. Um, And I'm really excited about the game tonight because that was twice last year. I thought the Knicks played them very tough for long stretches of the game. But they just had too much shot making. Pulled out miraculous shot for this series, both those games. Yeah. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. But but yeah, so the long and short of it is there's a multitude of factors at the third quarter. There's Kemba. Um, there is just kind of because they play so many minutes, even the slightest drop in engagement off ball and movement can stagnate that offense of the starting lineup. And then the third thing is I do think other coaches are more inclined to make adjustments at halftime than Tibbs is. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I think, you know, last year we caught a lot of teams by surprise. And I think this year teams are just ready for the battle, ready for the physicality. And, and, and also as well, you know, um, you know, Kemba, Kemba, uh, you know, usually we've seen games where he has a great first half and the second half he starts to teeter off. Uh, Knicks fans have also killed him for that as well. Uh, I think he's part of the problem in the in, in the third quarter as well. But le- but like you said, right, when when the guys are playing eight to nine minutes at a time, uh, yeah, it's really hard. You know, guys like Obi and Quickly, when they should be coming in, like at least, you know, seven to seven uh, minute mark, eight minute mark, uh, <laughs> that's not happening. I think Tiz rotations are like we've seen last year with, with the Alfred thing. Uh, <laughs> he's not going to touch anything. Uh, but I wanted to. And to- I'll add, sorry, I wanted to add one thing there. There is a cost. To it um where i think that there is i think we all know that when you play eight ten minutes together as we've talked about but the flip side is if you're moving them too much in and out there is that lack of continuity right mm-hmm. so and i've seen teams struggle with that especially teams with a lot of turnover they don't have um, so he he treasures that and there are pluses to that but i think when you talk about the third quarter that's often what costs us so anyway sorry uh, i didn't mean to yeah, yeah uh, for sure no, no what's, your, what's your sentiments on the third quarter um, well, just real quick to add on to what Stacey just said, I think a large part of that has just been the fact that, like we talked about in the last pod, that the starting center position even has just been such a, you know, roller coaster of. And we'll talk in, about that. Like, but it makes it even harder for a new team with guards um, that really can't defend great to constantly be having to adjust to a different style of defender in the center position. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the third quarter, it's concerning because it's happening a lot. But like Stacy said about teams coming out making halftime adjustments, I think that's also like when teams start to realize we can attack Kemba and Fournier and even D-Rose to a certain extent. like more often and just keep doing those things and Tibbs is gonna have to find a way to hide them better whether that is 
you know, swapping someone like Burks into the starting lineup, at least like giving that lineup more run with Burks with the rest of the starters just to see how it plays out. I think that, I mean, you know, teams get hot. We saw a few games where like even the Lakers game where Russell Westbrook hit like 60% of his threes. I think he was like three for five or something like that. Ridiculous. Had a monster third quarter. (laughs) Like, I mean, some of it, like last year, we were always getting shit for we give up the most open three looks and, you know, um, people convert on them less because we still had a low three-point percentage. And maybe, like, some of that's just the shots are hitting this year. Maybe the defenders, like, I don't think Fournier's on Reggie Bullock's level on defense. But, like I said before, I think Tibbs has the defensive wherewithal to hopefully figure out those issues and be more prepared for those teams' second-half adjustments once we get our general, like, rotations down, which is still taking time. Uh, for sure. Um, you know, a big piece that we acquired during the offseason, Evan Fournier, uh, got a big contract from us. Uh, you know, I, at first, you know, I was a little, a little hesitant with the move. I wasn't the biggest Evan Fournier fan. Uh, Nolan could attest to that. But um, I did like his skill set. I definitely thought uh, what he brought to the offensive side was going to be uh, a little bit more than Reg- what Reggie Bullock gave us, especially in a playoff setting where the defense is a little bit more tighter and the schemes are a little bit better since the you know, they're going to see you more often. But, um, you know, the last six games, Evan Fournier been averaging uh, 10, 8, and 2. Uh, but, you know, even though he's shooting 42% from three, uh, I think the defense has been very eye-opening for me. Uh, <laughs> at times, he's looked like a turnstile on defense. Uh, him and Kemba haven't been really uh, helpful with that. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the past week, we've seen a picture with Alec Burks in a blue uh like practice uniform and people were expecting him maybe being inserting into the starting lineup. But, uh, you know, Fournier cleared uh, quite some of that noise for now with the big game against L.A. But um, what are your thoughts on Evan Fournier's struggles, man? I, you know, it looked like him and Randall had that connection going on in the preseason. But it seems like that has, you know, disappeared a little bit. But uh, what's your thoughts on Evan Fournier, our newest acquisition? Yeah, I'm less worried about him. I think should Burks take his minutes is a separate issue and has a lot to do with, frankly, how well Burks has played. Uh, we can talk about that in a minute. But with Fournier, I'm less worried. Um, I think there's been times when he's been kind of – he's trying to find his role. Um, but I, I remember that Boston game. I remember early in the season the can of chemistry he has with Randall in pick and roll. And you look at his past few years, he's 29. So it's not like he's, he's not a player who relied on great athleticism in the past. And he, I don't think that's diminished from watching him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, um, you know, the kind of revolving door at the big, big actually kind of, that affects uh, someone like Fournier more than, than we'd even think about. We talk about the defense. Um, but so I'll talk about the offense first, because when you're driving, right, and your bigs, that, that's part of it too, right? Because the bigs need to know where to position themselves. Um, Taj has more leeway because he can pop out for a jumper, he can actually catch the ball from further away. So he has a little bit more leeway. But with Mitch and Noel, they have a small area and they have to be in the right spot to open up driving angles and to, you know, uh, to properly attack help defense. So that chemistry is not getting down. Um, and on the other end, obviously, Fournier is someone who is a very good team defender. 
So his strength on defense, and he does have a strength on defense, is to be big and to be in the right position, right spot, right? He's For smart sure. and he has good size. He is not good at manning up on defense. Um, I think Tibbs has actually done a good job to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his, his skill set um, is pretty unique on this team. Um, he, and as far as guys with like, as much as I love Burks and he's good at almost every, he's better probably than Fournier at almost everything, even team defense now, because I think Burks has done a great, much better job of that. Where I will say Fournier still has a bit of a, an advantage that matters in that starting lineup is he's kind of, he's a connector, like he's, he's a good passer, right? So if they can play him in that role where he's coming off movement, he's getting the ball at the top of the key and he can survey, put the ball on the floor or make the quick pass and they know where everyone's going to be. That's a better way to use him. Um, I think like for most of his career, he probably will end up being more of a 25 minute per game guy than, um, you know, than what you might think of a typical tip starter. And I think he ends up more closer to a 50-50 time split with Burks at that position. But overall, I'm not super worried. Uh, I think it's a tradable contract as well. Uh, and I think he will pay, sure. play a key role. Uh, but this is, this is also what Atlanta did with their wings last year, right? They signed Gallinari, uh, but they put him in spots where his defense, he would have help and he wouldn't be exploited as much in one-on-one. And he's able to exploit mismatches on the other end. And I think as, uh, you know, as the Knicks get more reps together and as Tibbs gets more comfortable, you will start to see them do that more with Fournier. So definitely not worried. I do think Burks has earned himself a larger role and I think that'll come at Fournier's expense. And uh, to be quite frank, uh, no pun intended, uh, possibly at RJ Barrett's expense as well, Um, because it's not just RJ's recent struggles. Um, There are multiple things that Burks does better and it's tough to ignore that. And RJ was playing the second most minutes in the league. So I'm not saying bench him, but I'm saying maybe instead of averaging 35 minutes a game, he's closer to 30 this year or 29. So, yeah, yeah, no, I see nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, like you said, like, I mean, if RJ is just not hitting shots that night, he doesn't really have the, the dribble yet, the handle to create his own shot enough he can hit you know his corner threes and you know hit threes at a fairly consistent rate but when he's not doing that and he's not getting to the rim he's probably our best perimeter defender and he's better in motion i would say too right so i think him being able to play off rose and quickly and their penetration will serve him better than playing i've never really loved the fit with rj and julius right so that's not Mm -hmm. to say they can't play together but for what rj is good at and what he's trying to develop uh, and that's not a knock on Julius, but no, no, no. You just need to space guys out a little bit more. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's similar to kind of what you see with Chicago, the way they stack minutes with um, what's his name, uh, Levine and DeRozan. They kind of stagger those minutes so that one of them is always on the court at all times, and you can kind of run the offense through both of them. I'm not saying that you can run the offense through RJ but just having him with quickly and Rose on the court, like you said, I think like staggering those lineups together and him still, you know, maybe dropping a few minutes, like you said, but still playing a big role in this team. I think that'll help him develop playing against more bench players. I think that'll like boost his confidence. Um, that make, I think that's a really good idea, honestly. 
Nah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, some and part of the season, you know, our Lord and Savior fourth quarter Burks have been really, really great this season. I mean, the way he looks like Kobe out there is like some parts of the fourth quarter, he looks very sharp. Um, he seems like the Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, he be having that Mamba mentality in the fourth quarter. He be giving me hype. But as far as, you know, Burks' clutchness, I think that's that he has saved us. I think if, if we didn't have Burks, man, we would be looking at a sub-500 record, in my opinion. Yeah, I, it's it's really incredible what he's been quickly doing. Quickly, too, even. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's, you know, it's good that you brought up quickly because um, with Burks on that bench, uh, quickly and Obi have brought an amazing energy. Uh, quickly, especially, you know, started a little bit slow, but... Especially uh, with this roller coaster season, you know, quickly has been a very bright spot, uh, hitting all his shots, playing great defense, and and also Obi, you know, coming off the bench, uh, making sure when he comes in for Randall, making sure the energy is there. He's running the court. Uh, you know, even Tip said it. Uh, you know, his defense. Uh, he's a way different uh, player than what he was in the past. He's able to pick up things defensively, and the game has slowed down uh, incredibly for him. In your opinion, uh, Stacey, uh, what's your thoughts on the tag team with Quickly and Obi? Do they deserve a bigger role? Maybe Quickly gets in the starting lineup. Maybe we heard, you know, you know, Nick's Twitter is always, you know, rambling about that. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I have always, um, I have always been a fan of Quickly in the starting lineup. Um, especially last year, I thought it was ridiculous. Um, I don't want to harp too much on that. Um, but I think you have a couple of guys in Randall and RJ Barrett who thrive with better spacing. Uh, I think quickly, quickly and Randall. So we talked, we'll, I'll definitely get to the chemistry with Obi, but I've always thought quickly and Randall are a great team because quickly has a good nose for getting open and finding spots that Randall can hit him off doubles. And of course he can shoot, right? So when you have Randall with his good vision and quickly being able to pop around, that's a really taxing combination for defenses. So yes, I think quickly should start um, partly because I think that in the starting lineup, you're not asking him to do a whole lot of ball handling and creation anyway, um, because the offense runs through Randall. So um I, I think he's capable of starting. I get wanting to keep Kemba in there and I'm not, ag- I'm not against keeping Kemba in there um, because I realize that they're going to need him. He does bring certain things that even quickly doesn't he's even at this point, still probably a little bit better getting all the way to the rim. Um, but I think you'll see more of quickly with the starting lineup because the a big thing that quickly brings, and this is, this was the allegedly the reason for elf starting last year was um, point of attack defense. Right. And quickly has been arguably the between, between him and Burks probably for the best point of attack defender. Uh, and you're seeing now quickly is a lot stronger than he was last year. He's not getting bullied. He's, he's using his on defense. Yeah. He's using his length a lot. Um, so if, if Tibbs does want to, and that's something Tibbs values the position. If he does want to inject the starting lineup with some defense and shooting um, that is a, that is a, that is an option um, is, is quickly a, a great is quickly all the way there yet? No, I think he's gotten better at getting to the rim. He's actually doubled his rim frequency from last year. It's just, it was several floaters too. Yeah. He's less floaters uh, and more threes. He's taking more shots at the rim, um, more threes. It's also interesting. People thought, well, the, the foul rules have changed, right? Quickly is going to struggle to do his like foul baity Trey young stuff. He's actually gotten rid of that pretty much. He doesn't do that anymore to the extent he gets those foul calls, like in mid range. It's usually because the guy blocks his path and he knows how to recognize that. And like, I, that's not foul baiting. That's like taking that's the path a, that's there. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I've been very impressed with Quickly. I think he could stand to have a bigger role. Um, I don't necessarily think it matters as much that he starts, but I think getting minutes with the starters, especially in games with Kemba struggling or when there's a tough perimeter matchup, would be really useful. Um, and I don't think he would diminish his effectiveness because he's shown the ability to guard whoever's in front of him. And if anything, like he'll have less uh, playmaking responsibility with the starters. As far as Obi, yeah, he absolutely needs a, it's it's a it is a joke that Obi is only getting 11, 12 minutes, whatever it is. Um, he we see so many of these stat lines, right? 10 minutes, 10 points, 14 minutes, right? Like 12 points, 13 minutes, those kinds of things. Um, that is not a Julius Randle should sit sit more thing. That is an Obi Toppin needs to play more thing. Um, I don't see it if Obi is healthy, I don't see a, a need for Jericho Sims to get minutes, period. Uh, he should not be getting minutes that Obi Toppin could get. I even think his rim protection has been good. His block percentage has gone up to 5.2, which is mm-hmm. not quite elite center level, but like Noel's Noel is like eight. So like, yeah. it's, it's like in that it's like to the point where like, he's decent. He could it, good enough to like protect the rim um, at an average level. Right. Um, and he, he's done everything that's been asked of him. And, uh, and he gr- brings an energy. I think, I don't know what the numbers are now, but a few games ago, when Obi was on the floor, the Knicks played at the eighth fastest pace. When he wasn't, they played at the 23rd fastest, right? And for a team that's still figuring out its half-court offense, that's huge. Um, and then the, the chemistry between Quickly and Obi is great, but I think part of that is they're just two players who are great at playing with other people. Quickly still has mm-hmm. a little bit of a tendency like to pull the ball back out, dribble off like 10 seconds. But for the most part, in motion, he's not really a ball stopper, right? He's And, and like and I think to the extent that he has flaws as a driver, Obi is there's so many, so many times when quickly can't quite turn the corner, but he's drawing that help defender and Obi cuts the right spot and he's got terrific hands. So I love playing them together, but they, the reality is they both need a bigger role. And that especially goes for Obi. I'd probably give quickly four to five more minutes a game and, and kind of work him up from there, play him more against starters. Um, but with Obi, uh, I would double. He should. There's no reason he shouldn't be getting 20 plus minutes. He's too good and too so, especially so with, with that being said, Yeah, so I was gonna say right now with like, we're seeing a lot more Obi and Randall lineups right now because of the center like situation that we were talking about earlier. The constant you know merry-go-round of like centers swapping in and out. But do you think that is something? Tibbs will have or Tibbs will continue to do once Mitch and Noel and Taj are all healthy. Um, <laughs> I think he will have to. Uh, it's kind of like he's shown more of an ability of willingness to experiment this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, it's not just those two. He's actually played RJ at the four quite a bit of late. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, I like in circumstances. Yeah. And so I don't think. I think with his front court, he can be a little bit more stubborn, but last year he did play a lot of point Burks, right? Which was an unconventional lineup. When I say point mm-hmm. Burks, that means no rows. There were times I think there was Burks and then like RJ and Reggie, right? Yeah. So like yeah. <laughs> no, no, nothing close to a point guard. So he will do things like that. If Obi and Randall can continue to prove it. Um, and I do wonder, I think it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this the other day. It's interesting to look at the bulls and how they've managed to have a good defense. Right. Um, without a good rim. I mean, Tony Bradley's solid. He's a good player, 
but they usually are playing Derek Jones is like their biggest four, especially with Pat Williams out. Right. Right. So they're usually playing small players at the four. And so they make up for that lack of weak side rim protection by with aggressive on ball defenders. Levine has improved. Obviously we know what Lonzo and Caruso can do. And then they hide DeRozan. I think to make that work and to ease Tibbs's mind, I think you can, if, you, if I was going to play Randall and Obi together, um, you know, you can pair them. You, you do have, you could pair them with three good perimeter defenders, right? RJ has been up and down, but when he's on, he's really good. Burks has become a really good defender and obviously IQ, right? I think that lineup can maybe make up for some of the lack of size by just forcing a lot of turnovers, getting up on defenders, top locking and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, so to answer your question, I, I don't presume to know what Tibbs is going to do, uh, but I think it absolutely needs to be in the arsenal um because you need to have aces in your back pocket and that's one thing we didn't have against atlanta last year right we didn't have adjustments to their adjustments um you know like last year when capella went out i wanted to see obi and randall together when Cape- uh, when capella is out of the game we didn't really get to see that right but you need to have something like that and also i mean it's tough to argue obi hasn't been one of the Knicks' five best players so figuring year, out a way to yeah. figuring a way to get to your five best players on the floor as much as possible is important. So um, unless, and it's not going to cause spacing issues, they shouldn't get wrecked on defense. Like, you know, like last year's Lakers team, that's the kind of matchup where I would have worried, right? Because they had, they were just right. a monster on the offensive glass, but this year's Laker team, right? When Deandre Jordan doesn't move more than three feet at a time in any direction. Um, yeah. Like I, that's where you can kill them with small ball. Um, and so, yeah, I think it needs to happen more, but the most important part of it is, again, it comes back to Obi Toppin is too good. It's not about developing young talent. It's about winning games. And he's too good and too impactful to, to not be playing 20-plus minutes a game. No, I 100% agree with that. Uh, definitely, Obi, sh- Obi should deserve more minutes. I agree with that. Um, and he's but- impactful on both ends, by the way. He's also probably one of their better defenders. So. And, and that's and that's a big thing, you know, coming in from college. The big thing was, yo, this guy's going to be a turnstile on defense. Like he, he, it'll take him a long, long time for him to adjust on that side of the ball. And it's then the exact opposite. And I think that's and I think that's more of the front office picking guys. I mean, they've done a great job uh, drafting these past few years. Guys that are willing to develop, willing to grind, willing to come in and, and make a make a difference. We've seen Grimes too. You know, he's come in and, and fill in and not miss a step so I, I, you can't be mad at that but um another topic within the Knicks community is our center situation um last offseason we paid Noel I believe three years 30 million dollars around that um Mitch is up for a contract uh you know th- this has been an ongoing debate between me and Nolan on the corner three should we pay Mitch how much should we pay Mitch uh I've been personally me. I've been frustrated with Mitch's injuries. Um, I believe last year if Mitch was there in the playoffs. It would have been a way more competitive setting. I think Capella just, you know, dominated Noel and Taj. I think Mitch would have gave us a little bit more, you know, a, a different aspect to that, but I don't know how to feel against Mitch to give him another contract. Could we have a center that's not 35 years old, that's healthy all the time? Could we get another guy in there? Uh, you know, but, but what's your thoughts, uh, Stacey, on, on the Mitch situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm still pretty close to where I was at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, if you look at the deals that were handed out, Robert Williams got four for 54. 
uh, I think which is better than him, but um, you know, Williams has, has really grown and, you know, there are certain things he does that Mitch doesn't. Uh, Rashawn Holmes got, I think four for 50, which was, I think it's 54, 54, 56, whatever it was, it was an underpay. (laughs) Um, But I, I think something in that line, I'd be happy with giving Mitch. Uh, I think part of the reason they gave Noel that contract was it is very tradable and he's not the best center in the NBA, but the things he does are actually pretty rare, right? Um, He is terrific perimeter. He's just an odd player because most bigs who are shot blockers are paint bound and good rebounders. He's a terrible rebounder, but he's great at switching out under the perimeter, right? Uh, He's great at forcing steals and blocks. So it's a rare skill set, And I think it could be intriguing to people in a trade. Um, So for Mitch, um, I thought that early in the season, he had the weight gain. I don't think it's bad weight, but he is still getting used to moving with that. Um, And if it's like a 5% decrease where last year he used to be able to like get to everything and just had that fully freakish ability. Now he's just a really good athlete. Um, You have to compensate. You have to improve your technique. That is taking time, right? Where he he just could get away with so many things. It's less so, I mean, I think it's a worthy trade-off in terms of that extra mass and that has served him well on the glass. I thought he was figuring it out before his concussion and he had a couple of nice games. So um, I'm still where I'm at where I probably go up to four for 60. That's probably the max. Uh, and then beyond that, it's, it's really at their discretion. Uh, I think you have to talk to the player and there's going to be conversations. There's things we're not privy to, uh, but four for 60 is my max. And I'd be targeting something like four for 52, um, but he may want to get paid more than that. And, you know, if that's the case, we'll see. Right. I, I also think that in terms of trades, um, you know, there's been, I think that the Knicks, there's been a lot of chatter of like, you know, I've seen people talk about, should we be trying to get a pick for Burks, right? Like what happened with Marcus Morris? And that's something I don't think the Knicks are going to do because I think they have purposely, they have a lot of these 10 to 10 to 15 million deals that, you know, you add them up. That's how you, I'm not saying it's going to be Dame. I'm not saying it's who it's going to be. It's Donovan Mitchell or Cat or whoever, but it's, that is what the plan is for them. Um, and so I think that you can definitely sign Mitch to a deal that doesn't eliminate your flexibility for that. And I think Noel, while I think they really did see a role for him and obviously he's been important this year, it's also, they, they signed a deal that, that is, uh, very useful for trades and matching salaries. So I agree with that. I mean, I think that's what my initial reaction was to the Noel deal was, okay, we have this guy that was basically our starting center for the year. We won, what, 42 games with him. So, I mean, like, we'll sign him to a reasonable contract that's very tradable, wait a year out on Mitch, see if he can stay healthy. And I get he's had injury, been a little injury prone, but, like, I think the broken hand is kind of a fluky thing, a concussion protocol. Like, I'm not going to call a guy injury prone over that. I think the added muscle, like you said, has definitely shown up this year. And to your point about like the added muscle weight, maybe taking away from his ability to get to everything on like the perimeter. It's also, you got to remember, like he wasn't cleared to practice until so late in the postseason or the regular season, whatever ended up being that he's still kind of working his way through that too and getting into basketball shape. So, I mean, I'm all for giving Mitch a deal on the condition that you find a reasonable deal for Noel 
just because I don't think you can afford to pay two centers so similar so much money on one roster and it'd be like a sustainable way to build out a team. That's no, right. for sure, for sure. I think that number, yeah, I think that's a good number right there. I remember when Jared Allen got paid that $100 million contract, me and Nolan looked at each other like, I hope Mitch is not asking for that because that's not happening. And that's also all. what Miles Turner got uh, a couple years ago. So, yeah, 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 but Miles Turner could shoot the three, right? It's different. Okay. What are your thoughts on Miles Turner? I mean, he killed us. He looked like Steph Curry. I mean, what's he <laughs> shooting for the year now? I've, I've always like, – the defenses have generally been willing to leave him open this year. He's improved and he looked improved against us. So I think if he's, if he finishes the season shooting 40% from three, that's a bit of a game changer. I think Mitch is a better rebounder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for most of his career, Mitch has been better at switching on the perimeter. Um, though He has a little bit of a less of a margin for error there. And that to me is more important. Um, but Miles has improved. Uh, I think there were flashes. Like Pacers fans always talk about, there's flashes he's shown in terms of putting the ball on the floor. Like obviously against us, he hit the threes, but like it was also some of the moves he can make off the dribble and pass. If that's for real, you start to look at a different ceiling for him. Um, but I would rather at this point in time, I would still rather pay Mitch 15 mil a year than Turner. So than pay yeah. Turner 20. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Let's move on from the Knicks talk. That was plenty of Knicks talk right there. Uh, Let's move over to the league. Uh, On the corner three, not only do we talk about the Knicks, but we also talk about the NBA. I believe the Knicks Knicks fan base probably has some of the most knowledgeable uh, NBA fans, definitely. Definitely. Um, but uh, some big news from Sacramento, Luke Walton gets fired. Uh, it seems like that was supposed to happen before the season even started. I don't understand why they let him coach the few games and then just let him go. I let him finish out the season. Um, but it is what it is. Another dysfunctional move. Um, I was talking to Nolan last time about this. And um, if you look at the decision since Vivek took over the team in 2013, uh, if I could read out some of these draft picks for you, Stacey, I want, how many of these guys are still in the league? Uh, they got Ben McLemore, Nick Staustis, Willie Colley-Stein, Frank Mason, uh, Papa Giannis, uh, <laughs> poor Marvin Bagley. I mean, they, they can't even draft guys who can stay in the league. And, it, and it's very hard for you to, to build a, a contender, build a competent team. When you're constantly missing draft picks, we've seen it here, over, we've seen it here in New York. I think I don't I don't understand what's going on. And if you and if you even look at the coaches uh, since 2013, you know they had Keith Smart who messed up Dennis Smith Jr.'s career. It seems like uh, Michael Malone, who's a respectable coach, they they kicked him after a season. Uh, Ty Corbin, I don't know who that is. Uh, Dave Yeager, who seems like he had the most success with that team, uh, looked like you know they were on the step to becoming a playoff team, but uh, they let him go. Uh, before that happened and then Luke Walton and now Alvin Gentry which Nolan's a little bit of a fan of but I don't think he'd be able to 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 dig him out that hole especially this season uh you know what's your thoughts on the Kings man with all that turnover or that mediocrity it's hard to be a Kings fan I thought it was hard to be a Knicks fan these past years but Sacramento has it on another level what's your thoughts yeah, there was a shout out to Andy Glockner, who last year was making the opposite argument. But suffice to say, I would rather be a Knicks fan than a Kings fan. Um, no, look, I think that um, Jaeger and, and Malone were the two coaches that had the most success. Both were fired. Um, they go through coaches pretty quick, but then with Walton, they gave him much longer leeway. 
Malone not only had the most success, but he actually was the one coach who really seemed to build trust with DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, and that really yeah. blew up that situation. I actually thought they did decent in that trade getting for what they got back. Um, I think they did overvalue Buddy Heald. Like there's the famous um, you know, Vivek quote where he said, um, Steph Curry. <laughs> Steph Curry, right? Um, so as far as their drafting, I didn't realize it's that bad. Um, they've been better of late. Um, Halliburton has looked good. De'Aaron Fox is good. Um, you know, but the, the thing is, they for all the, the criticism we have, they've had talent, right? Um, mm-hmm. they, they have had, they had Boogie before. Like, it's not a team that you're like, like last year we lost to them uh, on the road. Like, it's not a team you're jazzed to play, um, but they just have fatal flaws. They're really indisciplined. And I think their player, like, it, it can be often a chicken and the egg thing when you talk about, did they, was it scouting or was it player development for a lot of these guys, right? Like, mm-hmm. actually probably should have gone second overall. But for that guy to be nearly out of the league, you're not talking about some kind of Jaleel Okafor type situation where the league passed him by. It's closer to something like Andrew Wiggins, where it was a guy with great tools who was raw, um, you know, needed some more time to marinate, and they haven't given him that, right? Um, and, and that's not saying he needs more reps. I don't know what it is. I do know that there is a clear difference, reps or not, of how the Knicks rookies have... Obi didn't get that many reps last year, but he clearly developed a lot, right? Um, Definitely. So there is, there is just something that they're missing in terms of organization, in terms of young player development. And that's, that's clear with Fox, right? Um, you know, he, 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 last year he didn't shoot the ball great, but he went up to 32% on five and a half attempts per game. He's taking a lot of pull-ups. The fact that his shooting has stagnated is very discouraging. The fact that he hasn't ever been a good defender at the NBA is very discouraging because he was very good in college and he's super fast and, and, um, and I could see him, he's getting a lot of the blame right now, but I could see him, you know, maybe down the line being a kind of having a Levine type resurgence where the narrative is, oh, he's not a winning player until you put him in a winning situation. And then you see, oh yeah, you can, he's definitely part of, he's capable of playing defense. He's capable of doing these things. Um, so I do think that it might be in the cars that they're looking to trade him because they drafted a point guard last year. And yeah, I know there's debate about is Halliburton a true point guard in a perfect world. I actually think Fox and Halliburton together is your perfect backcourt. One of them is kind of a slashing downhill guy. The other guy's a spot up shooter who could connect both are excellent passers. They also drafted Davion Mitchell this year. Um, so I think Fox could be on the block. Maybe they make a move for Simmons or something. Um, but overall, just the organization is a mess. And I think um, a lot of that is not on the players they actually selected. A lot of that is not putting them in a position to succeed. And the few times when they had some kind of coaching continuity, they screwed it up. So, um, you know, that's kind of my take on that whole thing. Because I, I think that as much as the scouting may be to blame on terms that are draft picks, um, the fact is you're still drafting. I mean, there's like picks that came out of kind of nowhere, like Papayanis, But for the most part, you're still drafting NBA players. You can say Bagley was a reach at two, but like he should have still gone in top seven or eight picks. So he was like Definitely. a really good prospect. Um, so a lot of this is just, they're not putting people in a position to succeed. Yeah. I think the Bagley thing is the weirdest out of all of those, just because like you said, they haven't really given them the time to develop. And now you're in a situation where like, yeah, yesterday, I think they beat the King, they beat the Trailblazers 25 to 125 to 121, Buddy Hill had 22 and four. Fox had 21 and six and Davion had 16 and three. And 
while I think you also have Halliburton on that team, that's a lot of guards on one team. And I feel like that's kind of an indictment of what they think of Fox or Fox's timeline or what they can really get out of that core without trading Fox for a bigger piece or like, like otherwise if you're not trading Fox I don't think you have enough assets to go out and get another player and maybe some of these players develop and I actually yes. just heard on uh, the mismatch this morning like the idea of hiring Kenny Atkinson like immediately I like that I like I would just I like that up. because for so many guards on that team and like the way they're built and a young team like I don't know, you see in Kenny Atkinson build culture around like in the nets for whatever, however long that lasted. But I mean I think if there's one coach that could make a lineup with all four of those guards work, it would be a coach like Kenny Atkinson. But yeah. it's a, I have another question kind of on that though. Sure. Do you think um do you definitely finish your thought, but like do you think if they do trade Fox, it would be as a package to get Maybe not. Maybe Simmons has diminished too much at this point, but someone in that realm, like a star, or would it be a way to signal that they're doing a new rebuild and just try to get a bunch of picks and like a? Young I team? would. I would assume full rebuild and build around Halliburton, which is kind of like Halliburton and Buddy Hield and Davion, but like Davion's also like the same age as De'Aaron Fox. I think they're both twenty-three. <laughs> like. It's it's kind of hard to justify that other than the fact that he's on a rookie contract and I think Fox is on the first year of his five-year max. So, I mean, there's that part of it. Um, other than that, though, I mean, yeah, I just, I just think that there's no way without trading Fox to get over the hill that they need to get to, especially in the Western Conference. And, 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 you know, one thing that they said on the mismatch is, you know, Fox, like, like you said, Stacey, you know, Fox has regressed, especially on the perimeter end this year. I think he's shooting uh, below uh, 30% on his threes. Um, he's not the perimeter guy that you would want um, your point card to be, especially in today's NBA. Um, they compared him to guards like John Moran yeah. and, and, and stuff and guys like that who, who shown the ability to improve on the, on the perimeter. And, and, and at Fox, you know, he, he hasn't, but it's also the situation, like you guys said, um, you know, the talent, and, and like you said, Stacey, they do have talent on the team. And I think it just depends. It takes uh, the coach. It, it takes the correct uh, system in place. Uh, well, Fox has also team. been in the league for five years now, where this is just second year, too. So when you're looking I think it's your like third year, right? Josh's third year? Third, third, fourth year? No, I guess third year. Yeah, yeah. Same it's the same as RJ, but still three to five. I mean, two years. I mean, people develop differently all the time. Like look at Julius Randle, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I would do in a king situation there in a tough spot. I mean, I've been for about sixteen years. I think it's a fair conversation to have if you're the uh, Kings front office. Uh, really, if you want to trade him and, and really press that reset button, that hard reset button, uh, you know, Fox. I think. There, there'd be a decent market for Fox. I think teams do like his skill set and, and, and do like his potential. So we'll see what the Kings do. Um, they're in a little bit of a rough position. I expect them to make trades this trade deadline. 
uh, for them to maybe have a fire sale with Harrison Barnes and stuff. I don't like what they did with Davion Mitchell with that draft pick. I think him and Halliburton kind of do the same things, and it's kind of I, I didn't understand that. And, and especially, that's why Fox might be on the block. Yeah, especially, you know, especially if you have to pay these guys, you know, it's eventually you're going to have to pay Halliburton. Eventually, you know, if Mitchell turns out the, the player that you drafted him to be, you're going to have to pay him too. So you I don't understand. You can't pay all three of those guards. Exactly. And they're all under 6'5". I don't understand what's the thinking process behind this. I don't. But um, we'll see what happens with the Kings for sure. Um, switching it up. Uh, let's talk about, you know, some of the young guys in the league that's been tearing it up. Um, one guy, probably the most impressive rookie, uh, Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley, especially defensively, has been a stud. Um, surprising some folks. I think he showed this in college. Um, to averaging 10, uh, no, averaging, uh, I believe he's averaging 14, 8, and 1 block a game. Um, him and Jared Allen have been menaces on defense. Uh, Cleveland, even with the Colin Sexton uh, injury, uh, he tore his meniscus against us, I believe. Even though that they, the Cavs have been an uh, improving basketball club, uh, what's your thoughts on Evan Mobley? Yeah, I mean, it, he, he does look like <coughs> people can throw around the word generalization too much at times, but um, no, sorry, generational. <laughs> You can generalize about generational athletes. Right? Um, they, um, but it seems to apply here. Uh, I think this draft, this the first four in this draft, um, have the chance to be up there with 2003, 1996, that kind of a draft. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we don't know if there's going to be a Kobe or LeBron uh, like those drafts had. Um, but Mobley has as good a shot as any young player you see when you look at his production, when you look at um, you know, like the word unicorn gets used a lot, uh, but he really can switch like that. Um, he's allowed them to play, you know, they've played Lowry, him and Jared Allen all together at the same time. Um, and a lot of that is Mobley's perimeter defense. He can put the ball on the floor. Uh, he's only shooting 31% from three, but the fact that he's taking them at this young in a career and he's a good free throw shooter, he has a little bit of a mid range game. Um, I think he'll shoot in time. Like the fully realized Evan Mobley is an, perennial MVP candidate yeah. uh, and the, the, the kind of player the league is shift that's the thing like everyone was kind of you know Jalen Green is the higher upside pick Evan Mobley is the safe pick before the draft and I didn't really understand that uh, I think when you have a big who can do all of those things uh, and uh, be as athletic as him uh, yeah that's a pretty high upside player and but I've also been very impressed with Jalen Green I thought he played great against us his speed combination of speed shooting just amazing touch at the rim like so um, yeah yeah like um i mean his finishing game like this is a high comp let's not, let's not call it a comp but i've seen flashes of Kyrie the way he's able to just put the ball high up the glass he can change his angles mm -hmm. uh the body control and all of that i've gotten flash of Kyrie irving um hopefully not he's not an anti-vaxxer but um <laughs> But with getting back to Mobley, so I mean, you just the stats jump off the page. One that's really interesting that people talk less about is uh, he has a 2.5 to 1.8 assist to turnover ratio, which most young bigs really struggle with turnovers. Um, to be able to come into the league and handle the ball and take care of it and make good decisions consistently is advanced beyond his years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I think the, the Cavs are an interesting juxtaposition of the Kings and they can show you how quickly you can change their narrative. So if you're a Kings fan listening to this, 
look at the Cavs. If you stack up talent, and I think the, the Kings are starting to do that. Halliburton's a good pick. I don't see the all-star ceiling that some people do, but he's very yeah. impactful. Um, the way kind of Ricky Rubio has been much more, I think this year he's starting to get credit, but the way Ricky Rubio has throughout his career, you look at advanced stats, look at how his teams perform, much more impactful than just a casual viewing. I'm not using the word casual, like dismiss people, but like um, he's very impactful. And I think Caliburton gives you that kind of an elite role player ceiling. Um, Mitchell, he's still not shooting the ball well, but he, thought, he fills a niche as a guy who can get to the rim and really be disruptive at the point of attack. Um, I, I think, you know, they, they have some talent. So you add another piece, right? And then things can really change for you very quick. And the Cavs have, have you know, they realized what was going wrong and how they might have been developing players. And, you know, Garland has improved. Sexton looked really good before the injury. Uh, even some of their, you know, you know, Dean Wade is a guy that hasn't been talked about, but that was an undrafted guy who they've made into a rotation player. And he's a real rotation player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Cavs are right in the thick of it. So, um, so the, the long and short on Evan Mobley is um, he's, he allows them to, he almost allows them to play for two timelines, right? Because they're in the thick of the play and race if not the playoff race. And, but he's also gives you a piece to build around for the future. You pair him with a couple of your guards. Um, having that piece in place probably allows them to be more flexible in trading Sexton. I'm not one of those guys who thinks you have to trade him, but I also wonder if you can build a, the kind of backcourt you want if you have to pay him and Garland. Um, so I do expect them to, to trade Sexton at some point because Garland is probably the guy you want to keep, especially this year. Um, but nothing but great things to say about Evan Mobley. And I, I've also been impressed with Cade, Jalen Green. Scotty Barnes has come along much quicker than I thought, and I was really high on Same. him. Adding guys like Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner. Um, I think the Knicks have a couple of good guys. I like Grimes a lot. I think this is going to be a deep draft. And just one thing I'll say in, in general, I think if you look at the last couple of years, uh, last year's draft was a lot better than people expected. Um, you know, the, the year before that, I think after Zion, everyone thought Zion and Jai, everyone thought this is kind of not that great a draft, but you're seeing a lot of people come up from that draft. I think teams have really focused on improving player development, improving scouting and kind of focusing on, you know, putting players in the right position to both develop new skills, but also focus on what they're good at to build their confidence. So, and I, and, and I, add on top of that, you know, these, you have to give players, credits to the talented players um, and how maybe, you know, maybe this even goes back to AU improving those kind of things, but it's a very noticeable, the last three draft classes, I would say in terms of the depth, it's a noticeable difference. And, um, and, and in, in terms of how well they're performing and that's very encouraging and, um, and it's good for the league. So I, I've been very impressed with that. And I haven't seen an in-depth piece, but I'd love to see, you know, how the, the shifting in, Front off, the shift in the front office is thinking when it comes to young players and how they develop and target them uh, has, has, has impacted that. No, I 100% agree. I think the league right now is as deep as it's ever been talent-wise. I mean, guys who probably, yeah, youth-wise. I mean, there's there's a lot of talent in the league. You know, some second-year guys that we should talk about who have made a a great impact. Um, You know, Tyrese Max, I mean, Maxie, right? Maxie. Maxie has been tearing up the league with his opportunity with Ben Simmons gone, um, averaging 18, 4, and 3, shooting a decent percentage. 
Um, you know, Tyrese definitely has improved a lot, had a big offseason, worked on a lot of things uh, on his game, had came back. I think I've always liked him in the draft, always showed that dog. He showed that dog in Kentucky. Um, I, I love quickly, especially his skill set on our team. Uh, Max, 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 he definitely looks like uh, the real deal. And it looks like a, a great consolation prize from all this, you know, Ben Simmons drama for, uh, for Philly. Uh, just off it? of that real quick, just like – that seeing Maxi do so well in Philadelphia just puts more belief in the fact that I think quickly could do just as well in a similar role for the Knicks because I think they're very similar players and I think that IQ could actually be the better player of the two we just haven't really seen it in enough minutes and he hasn't really had the opportunity so I mean I'm I'm I wasn't I'm not anti-Kemba by any stretch of the imagination, but if it gets to that point at some point in the season, I do think IQ is the answer at point guard that you go to. Definitely, for sure. Um, Stacey, what's your thoughts on Maxi's development this season, you know, his opportunity? I love Maxi, and I think um, <laughs> that backcourt in college, the three, two of them plus Ashton Higgins was a lot of fun to watch. I remember watching them play Anthony Edwards, um, that was when I really noticed quickly because they put quickly, I thought they would guard Max Edwards with Maxi a lot, but they put quickly on him a whole lot and quickly's motor really stuck out. Um, but both those guys just have insane work ethic, like 99 percentile work mm-hmm. ethics. That was why I think a lot of Knicks fans thought that Kenny Payne would target Maxi and he was also high on him. Obviously it didn't work out that way. I would, I think actually, you know, I was on another pod recently and you know, they were talking about, you know, who's the best backcourt mate for quickly and i think maxi is a strong case um because actually nolan i would say i think they complement each other very well uh, maxi true. is kind of a guy who can get to the rim a lot um a little more physical great, yeah more physical um probably a little bit more he's more athletic um although neither of them is really a great athlete they both rely on i think the similarities are they both rely on craft a lot they're both very tenacious at the point of attack they're both really good at drawing fouls um, you would think Maxi should eventually get better at that, and his free throw rate has gone up, but it, it quickly still has a higher free throw rate than him. Um, Maxi has been super impressive. I think he's more than a consolation prize for not getting Ben Simmons. Um, I think there was there were questions before the draft about whether Maxi could be a point guard. Um, I think he might. He's also a great point guard fit next to Joel Embiid because I think his passing has improved. He's probably he's still kind of more of a downhill guy, but he's a great complement as a guy who can hit open shots who can penetrate and take some of the pressure off of Embiid. Uh, I think that gives you someone to build around. And I think, yeah, it, it, it should make them more uh, less reluctant to pull the, the trigger on, on Ben Simmons. Uh, and, and each day, each day you watch Maxi, and he just gets better and better. Uh, and the same thing with quickly. Um, and, yeah. um, and I think it, if anything, Maxi's success also makes me happy that we have this Kentucky pipeline because uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I think that they, I don't know if it's they, they, they got an eye for a certain talent. type of player who's who's fits uh, what we want to do. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, I think you know Philly has you know people were expecting with the Ben Simmons drama, and you know Ben Simmons played a big part of what they do over there in Philly, and for them to come into this season and uh, still win games, even with the Embiid COVID situation, um, they still able to find a way to win some games, but. Steph Curry has also shot extremely well this season. I believe he, he's on a 40, 50, 90 uh, pace right now, I'm pretty sure. So he, he, he's he been um, pretty impressive. But 
I, I can't wait. I can't wait for them to get 100% so we could play them and really test them to see uh, what they're about. I don't know if the Ben Simmons thing will ever, if he'll play this season. We'll, we'll see how that shit. What's your thoughts on the Ben Simmons thing, Stacey, by the way? Schrodinger Simmons. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just, it's gotten out of hand. Um, I see, I mean, I see kind of all sides of it. So, from just looking at why the relationship broke down, uh, it's been so. We you talked about it being four or five years for Fox, and he's still not turned into a great shooter, but he hasn't improved his volume. He has improved as a shooter. He's tried. Not, I mean, well, he's. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think being able to take them matters, right? Even if you don't hit them, right? Back, you can't just That's let the spacing. Defense. Yeah. So Simmons, he takes one three every two seasons, right? So whatever two against the Knicks. Yeah, whatever you want to say about Fox, um, A, he was in a shit show of a situation, and B, you can point to certain improvements that Simmons just never made, um, and Simmons was in a good situation. I mean, to the extent that he wants to, you know, he wasn't put in the position to, if you can't play they next to a, a generational seven, but, but they built teams around him, and if you can't play next to a seven-footer who can shoot the three, who can shoot for mid-range, who is a good passer, who plays defense. If you can't fit next to that player, who are you going to fit next to, right? That's actually a pretty yeah. optimal fit because you can't play him next to a non You can't play him next to Mitchell Robinson no. No, no, because no. the spacing is bad. So you, they actually found someone who was willing to take threes and beat even adjusted his game, right? Why would you want that guy away from the rim? They're willing to do that. Uh, so I, I think that's a lot on Simmons. On the other hand, um, you know, there's always – two sides and with philly uh i think there were probably times where they coddled him too much it actually reminds me a little bit um of what i've heard about the eagles and carson wentz where he was just coddled a lot no one was willing to call him out and he became kind of a prima donna and with simmons you know the thing is this with people like when you when you treat people like that it can be very fragile and when they get brought down um you know that can be a very dynamic situation so after last year I don't even know how much the, the Sixers, but I mean, even if Doc says something like, you know, that's like just acknowledges that, you know, you shouldn't be passing up layups when you have a dunk available and Trey Young is the help defense. Um, that's going to stick that much harder when you haven't set expectations for a while. And then the last thing is once it became clear that that was what happened, um, they needed to move faster. Um, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, the Knicks were criticized for not looking longer for a suitor for KP. Um, but we, we got the picks. They had that ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it worked out. Whereas the, you're seeing the opposite side of that is when everyone starts, because we also found we traded him before people were like, before his value tanked because they knew we exactly. had to trade him. Right. Uh, that's what's happened with Simmons. And that goes on Daryl Morey. Uh, and then the last thing is, yeah, in hindsight, um, if they had been willing to include, you know, the Heat get a lot of shit for not including Tyler Hero allegedly for a hard in trade. I mean, if this the six they made the that trade for Harden, yeah, you know they had they had the opportunity to to pair two of the top five players in the league, two of the top seven. You know, I've said that to all my Philly friends. <laughs> That's like since that trade rumor came out, I completely agree. Inexcusable. So uh, it's just a shitty situation. Hopefully, it gets resolved soon, but. Uh, you know, you still have Joel Embiid, you still have Tyrese Maxey, you still have a team that's been very competitive this year. I think a lot of people are underrating them because Simmons hasn't been playing, but the reality mm. is um, they still, they have the ability to beat pretty much any team on any given night. And they have an MVP candidate, a rising young star and some shooters. 
Uh, and then we'll see what they can do with Simmons, but um, but it's a weird situation. That's one thing is like, I think Maxi benefits that starting lineup so much just because of the spacing. And like, yeah, you lose some of that perimeter defense and like ability to attack the rim, but that's also something Maxi has shown that he can do. Yeah. But when you compare that with what you'll ultimately get for Simmons returning, you might actually not end up, you might end up with a better team than you did with just Ben Simmons. You know, you have Maxi who's shown that you can fill that role and you surround that with like additional draft pieces for like, you know, draft picks for different moves or players that just fill more shooting around players like that. Like Steph Curry and Maxi in the backcourt is pretty scary in terms of at least three point shooting. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty high on the Sixers. I still think they could end up winning, uh, at least getting to the Eastern Conference Finals with or without Ben. So we'll see how that goes. But what would you on the? I mean, Nolan, you know, I'm a huge Ben Simmons fan. Even though he can't shoot the ball, I think the things that he does on the court are extremely valuable. One of the best defenders we have seen in a while. And um, But other than the fact, I think uh, Stacey's right. This has gone too far. Um, they should have traded him. Thing. Yeah, yeah, they should have traded him. You know, we heard uh, Detroit packages. We heard Minnesota packages. We heard Sacramento packages. I don't know that the mental health thing, him, him, they're finding him. It's just a whole bunch of it's a it's a mess. And if you're a Philly fan and with the short window that you have with Embiid, because we all know the window with Embiid is not going to be that long, especially with his injury history and, and him not being able to stay healthy at all. As you're if you're a Philly fan, uh, you got to be pissed. You got to be pissed. And We'll we'll see. Maybe I don't think he gets traded this season. I think this bullshit wow. goes all the way to the off season, and they deal with that. Uh, we got to see how uh, Washington plays out with Beal. Uh, we got to see the the Portland situation after the year they had. I mean, it's only been it's only been like under twenty games, so we we have the rest of the season. So we, we'll see how that yeah, Washington we'll uh, plays oh, out. Here's here's a suggestion. So there's two places I think that I see him as a good fit. One I think a framework around a CJ McCollum trade. Um, although you already have Seth kind of playing that role. Um, so that's the downside of that on the Sixers, but you know, he's obviously injection of offense fits well with Embiid gives you a little bit of the mid range shot creation that Maxi is still kind of figuring out, although he's shown some affordability for that. And the mm-hmm. other one is um, you look at a guy like Andrew Wiggins and he, I think would fit in well. I don't know if at this point, golden state would be willing to make that trade. Um, but um he might fit in well as a wing who can give some defense to Philly. He's improved his shot making. And of course, I mean, if there is a place where Golden State would thrive, if Simmons is willing to accept that Draymond type role, uh, he would be dynamite playing next to Steph Curry. I don't think there's any question about that. And that would be the kind of move that really probably puts them. I mean, I think they're, to me, I'm willing to call them my favorites right now. I think they're the best player in the league. And they've surrounded him with good paces. Yeah. And they're getting another Hall of Fame player coming back. Um, But Simmons puts them on another level if they get him. So, agree. 
for sure, for sure. Uh, speaking about Golden State, uh, another player, another young player who has been lighting it up for them, uh, Jordan Poole. Uh, Jordan Poole coming in his third year, an exceptional leap, um, averaging 18, 3-3, and shooting uh, 40% uh, from three, just an absolute terror uh, starting right beside Steph Curry, picking up some things from Steph Curry, uh, moving without the ball, moving, you know, screens, pin downs. I think Jordan Poole, like, he has, I think he surprised a lot of people. Um, he has the scary Terry package that we call here in the corner three, but as far as, as far as Golden State and you know the 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 um the jump that Poole has made, Steph Curry looking like I think Steph Curry's only gonna get better, um you know as the season progresses. We we still have Wiseman, uh, Draymond Green is having another top three defensive uh, defensive player of the year campaign season. Uh, what's your thoughts on Golden State and Jordan Poole's development? Yeah, so I mean, as a Michigan fan, I am a huge fan of Jordan Poole. Um, but I've just, I mean, he's just a really, he's always been a fun player to watch. It is interesting. If you note, um, I followed him obviously pretty closely. So when he was in college, one of the problems, Michigan was a, you know, a, a pretty, was generally a top 10 team when he was there, but his second year, when like he really took a leap, it was stunted and it wasn't as visible. I think he did great in NBA workouts. And part of that was because Michigan was routinely playing three non-shooters. So their point guard was a guy named Xavier Simpson. It was like 5'11". No, yeah, uh, and he idea. was, yeah, he wasn't, a very, he couldn't shoot at all. Teams were willing to sag against him. They had the center shooting some threes. And then they had Charles Matthews, who's been, who's like a fringe NBA guy. I think he's, he's, um, you know, been on a couple two ways or not two ways, but he's, he gets those 10 day contracts, but he also couldn't shoot. So Poole had to be a floor spacer because everyone else needed to have the ball in their hands to, to drive to be effective. Uh, so he and that's part of the reason he left for the draft like you know his his parents had expressed not frustration at Michigan in terms of uh, you know using him correctly but the reality of the situation that he couldn't be deployed to really show off uh, what he can do and you're seeing that come to fruition now I think his off the dribble game and his explosiveness has improved tremendously Uh, he still needs work on defense I think he always had some point guard skills that are now coming to fruition on a team that He's not a guy you want running 25 pick and rolls a game like Alexander or something, but he's a guy in that kind of motion offense. He has good vision. He's a smart player in offense. He can, he can beat his man and, and make the right play. I think he ended up in the perfect place. And I think it's worth mentioning also for shooters. We talk about spacing for like downhill guys, right? You need to put spacing around someone like De'Aaron Fox. Um, hmm. but we don't talk about how much shooters help other shooters, right? Because if yeah. you have, if you have one guy, you know, you might see this a lot where if you have like, you know, a 31% shooter and then a 40% shooter and the ball is swinging around, right? You usually have one defender trying to close out and split the gap between two offensive players. But if one of them can't shoot, you can just, you key in on the shooter, right? Right. Um, And so it's interesting to see, um, you know, Steph's emergence has helped pull a lot and there's synergy there, right? Because defenses have all of these shooters to account for. Um, but he, he, he was kind of, he was my pick for most improved player of the year before the season began when miles Turner or sorry, miles bridges blew everyone out of the water early this season. I thought that was, um, you know, not going to be very prescient, but, um, pool has quietly risen. I think his shot selection still needs a little bit of work and that kind of drags down his percentages. It'll be interesting to see what his role will be when clay comes back. Um, but he's the kind of presence they've needed for a while in terms of shot creation, shooting, uh, and passing ability. And, um, you know, he's going to play an important role. So, uh, do you think when, when clay comes back, 
that he's a two or a three. Clay? Yeah. I think he's a two. Uh, I think they like Wiggins at that three position. Uh, yeah. I think you'll. Yeah. I, I'd be interested to see if they try some death ball, but instead of Iggy, you go Steph, Pool, Clay. That's what I was kind of getting at. Yeah. Wiggins yeah. at the four. Mm-hmm. Wiggins at the four, and then Draymond at the five. But they, they don't. The thing is, they like they like. Um, they've always even this is even when they had Iggy, right? Who is the per like prime Iggy or prime role player? Iggy is the perfect guy for that lineup. MVP then, Iggy. What? Uh, NBA championship MVP Iggy. Yeah, well, uh, we don't have to talk about that. I think we all know who the best player on the Warriors team was. Oh, absolutely. But um, it was Andrew Bogut, obviously. Um, <laughs> but the point is, like, they've never wanted to use that death lineup for more than like 10 to 15 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll still see pool come off the bench, but I think that lineup has a lot of possibilities. It will require pool to engage himself more on defense than he has because mm-hmm. clay is probably not going to be the defender. He once was, he'll, he'll, he'll be something better than like Evan Fournier, but um, he won't be what he once was. Steph no, obviously take him time. because of some, because he t- Steph can be targeted because of his size. Um, and then, so you, you really are asking Draymond and, and improved, but still Andrew Wiggins Wiggins to do a lot. But offensively, that'll just blow the doors off teams. Um, so that's the only situation I can see Clay playing the three in. Um, that that, I think to make that work, you'll need better defense from Pool, and that is something he still needs to work on. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely for sure, for sure. You know, and they still don't have Wiseman back. Some people think Wiseman has star potential. Uh, we'll, we'll see. And 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 especially that motion offense, and they have the best defense as well. They they're number one in defense in the league. And we'll see, we'll see. Especially with the Western Conference, the way it's shaping out. A lot of teams: Lakers, Denver, Clippers, Utah. You know they. They're, they're bunched in in that mix. And I think right now, if Golden State, if the playoffs were to start today, I mean, the only team that looked like who could really, really, you know, put them in a dogfight is the Suns right now. And Right? So we'll, we'll definitely see if they could keep up that momentum and if they make any trade deadline deals uh, to improve that roster. We'll see how Golden State works that. Um, last young player that I want to talk about before we wrap this up, uh, Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards um, impressing folks, even from last year, um, but definitely had made a jump this year, averaging 22-6-3. and three. Um, The Wolves are on a five-game winning streak. I had told Nolan uh, during some of our offseason pods uh, when they picked up Beverly, when they picked up Torian Prince. You know, I'm looking at this roster. I'm like, yo, they could make some moves. Don't be surprised if they're an eighth seed or a playing team uh, for real. Um, I think defensively, uh, they've made a step from last year. Chris Finch, even that the whole debacle, hiring him in the middle of the season off another guy's bench, uh, it seems like that's worked out. Uh, rumors have it that he's a very respectable guy around the league, um, got those guys playing hard. Uh, Minnesota even drafting well. Uh, uh, Vanderbilt, I believe Jared Vanderbilt, uh, a nice defensive wing, able to guard multiple positions, helping out guys like Cat, helping out guys like Anthony uh, Edwards on the defensive end. When you're looking at this Timberwolves team, uh, what's their ceiling? And, and as far as Edwards, what's your thoughts on him? Does he have superstar potential or what's your thoughts on this guy? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, first of all, um, he had what should have been the dunk of the season. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, I just told Hamza that before the podcast. <laughs> and 
not only is this just a bad call, uh, you actually, yeah, it was a dangerous play by the defender, um, and you shouldn't be rewarding that. Um, did you see it? Wait, wait, did you see how? It was like, it was like um, I want to see every Blake Griffin highlight dunk from the past 10 years if they're going to call that an offensive foul. Exactly. I mean, did you see how far out did he jump out? Oh, like, well, there's a still from like right when he jumps, and you're like, how did he? Like, he's like, it just doesn't look like he's gonna make it. You know, it kind of looks like MJ in Space Jam when he had the stretch. He's like, he's too far, <laughs> and then he just keeps going up. And um, so, I mean, he has the whole package, right? Um, he is obviously a 99th percentile athlete. He's strong. He's physical. Um, he has turned into a great shooter. I think he's shooting like. 38 percent or 36 percent he's shooting 36 from three and 43 43 from the field but he's like like seven threes a game or something like that yeah yeah yeah, same volume yeah right so that and a lot of those are pull-ups so like he's actually he is a really good shooter right i will take i mean give me someone shooting 36 as a pure shooter on a ton of pull-ups over someone who's like 44 but takes two a game right um I think where I'd like to see more, he still doesn't get to the line as much as he should. Surprisingly. Um, yeah. Um, and that was a knock on him out of college. Though I think, again, <laughs> if that play shows anything, he's attacked the rim with a vengeance. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's something you'd just want to see. Once that goes up, and it will, uh, his efficiency should really go up. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be the kind of guy who's an elite passer out of the pick and roll. Um but he's a good enough passer where you can run your offense through him and you can be your primary scorer. But like as a passer, he's closer to Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown than he is to like, you know, um, a true Lonzo point guard. or something. Not even Lonzo, but like, you know, like for uh, LaMelo or, you know, yeah, but those are elite passers, but like to be like, yeah, yeah. to be a starter, you know, like um, Jaws also a really good passer, but like, I'm trying to think of a guy who's not, mm. yeah, see, he should be in that range. RJ is a passer. But, like, I think, um, you know, like, uh, you know, if you look at the kind of guys who often run offenses, like, even, like, a guy like Devin Booker, I think he's a better passer than Edwards will be. But he doesn't need to be that, right? He just needs to be able to attack. uh, And then when defenses throw help at him, be able to make the right decision. And he has enough passing for that. Um, I haven't watched his defenses closely, but that's an area out of college I wanted to see if he could turn into a lockdown guy because he has the tools Mm -hmm. for it. Um, You have to think that... um, you know, I, I think the Wolves defense, a lot of the attention has gone to Jaden McDaniels, or, sorry, Jalen McDaniels, yeah. um, as I think he is a really, he's just one of those guys. I think he's a lot, he's a lot like Jonathan Isaac. Um, I think actually he has a higher that's ceiling. His name. Yeah, that's his name. That's his name. I had him mixed up with Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's his name, McDaniels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, so, and then I think the last thing I'll say, Cat gets a lot of flack. Um, but he has improved his defense where he's just um, like, he's a decent defender, probably something like Vucevic is on the bulls. Um, And he's still really big and can block shots, but I think um, he has a higher ceiling defensively than Vooch. Yeah, for sure. But it's not like, I think he gets a lot of flack for being lazy and there are some, there are some bad clips, Mm -hmm. but he knows what to do. He's agile enough. He has good instincts um actually like yeah it's kind of like julius right where like he's probably capable of doing good on defense it's just the consistency in terms of engagement isn't there and then you, you tend to see both of those guys feed off their offense so if their offense isn't showing out as well then the defense suffers um as far as the wolves ceiling i think you nailed it before that 
after kind of the Suns and the Warriors, you have a lot of teams that have just not played, and it's kind of a muddled middle in the West. Uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say the East is better than the West, but I think the East has a lot of teams that are surging and improving, whereas the West has a lot of teams that are stagnating. I think the Lakers are kind of emblematic of that. So yeah, I could see the the Wolves sneaking into the the play-in game, the playoffs. Uh, and that's probably not a team you really want to face. Um, you know, they're probably still a year away from making real noise. Yeah. Um, but I think if you if they can build a team that gets to the eight seed, that shows a commitment, a philosophy on defense, um, Edwards shows enough to be kind of a scary guy who can create a shot. Maybe not as good as like year two Donovan Mitchell, but like following that trajectory. And then you have McDaniel's. I mean, McDaniel's cat and. Um, Edwards is a pretty good core to build around. You have a primary scorer, you have a center who's like one of the best scoring centers of all time, and then you have a versatile Swiss Army knife defender, like potentially an elite role player. That's a really good core. And then the last thing I'll say is during their winning streak, one player who has actually quietly, or not maybe not so quietly if you're a Wolves fan, really played well is D'Angelo Russell. Um, I would imagine long-term he's a candidate to be traded more than probably a piece you're going to fit next to Edwards, but you know, for a yeah. guy who's taken a lot of flack as not a winning player, he has been a big part of this recent winning streak. Absolutely. Um, and um, you know, that shouldn't be left unsaid. No, for sure. For sure. Uh, Nolan, what's your thoughts on the Wolves? Um, yeah. I mean, on Edwards specifically, like Stacey said, he's a phenomenal athlete in kind of like, the polar opposite of RJ in terms of like, I have this elite athleticism. I can get to the rim. I'm a little flashy, but he's like better at creating off the dribble. But I, 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 I just don't like Anthony Edwards as a person. He went after RJ. Oh wow! And, yeah, yeah. And, Nolan is petty. Um, Nolan. <laughs> I'm, I'm very petty over that. And. But he's such um, a cool I, person otherwise, though. Like, I know, I know, but it's just like, him. but it's just like RJ is like the most like level-headed, down to earth. Just put my head down, do my work, and like you had to fucking take a shot at him for like what reason? Like why? And it's not a reason not to like a player. He's obviously a great player, and I think he's a franchise like you know like cornerstone player for the Wolves moving forward. But I mean, yeah, I mean. He needs to get better defensively and just kind of find a way to utilize his talent with either more shooters around him or just, I don't know exactly how that lineup evolves from here, but there's plenty of potential and like wiggle room for them to figure that out over the terms of the core, especially if you keep Cat. Sure. Definitely, definitely, for sure. Um, you know, wrapping up this pod, um, you know, today the Knicks play the Suns. Um, usually at the end of the pod, we try to predict, uh, you know, what's going to go on, who's going to win. Uh, hey, how wait, much before we win. do that, I want to bring up one more player. Okay, okay, okay so, so, so Cade. Everybody obviously has been, you know, so high on him since the draft, obviously number one overall pick. And he kind of struggled at the beginning, you know, but the more you look at it, especially over the recent games, his, like, efficiency has increased every game, and he's trending up. Like, 
he seems like a player who's mature above his years. And I think that a lot of the struggles he had early on in the year were struggles of just like adjusting to being the primary ball handler in the NBA, which like, you know, it takes time for things like that. And um, I've just been really impressed with him after the slow start he's had to the year. So I just, I felt like it would be disingenuous to not include him in the conversation. I mean, especially the way I advertised them on the pod. I mean, I, I love Cade. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm not, I'm not even, surprised. Even with the, um, I think the subtraction of Killian Hayes, him to be able to have the ball in his hand more often, I think that more than anything has really elevated his game. Uh, I've watched a lot of Pistons games. I'm a huge Cade fan. I, I, I love um, the way he plays the game, the way he's able to connect everybody on the court. I love it, but him and Killian Hayes, I don't think it's going to fit. It's early, but it's, I don't think it's a thing that's going to happen. And, and they still need more talent on that roster uh, for K to, to really jump, to really jump. I think next year we'll see uh, an insane leap. But uh, what's your thoughts, Stacey? Yeah, before, before I get into it, I actually did have a question. So I haven't watched nearly as much of the Pistons. How much are they – I've seen I, – I mean, I've watched Kate a lot in college. And I've seen, like, a lot of clips – how much do they use Grant at the five? Because that seems like it'd be an interesting pairing with Cade. They don't use him as much. He's more of a four. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. they don't use him as much. Um, they've been using surprisingly. Uh, yeah, they've been using uh Olenek. they've been using um uh Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Stewart. Yeah, so uh, that's not a thing that Dwayne and, and you gotta think Dwayne Casey. He's a good defensive coach, but offensively he's a little bit limited. So the the way the way they run their offense can be a little bored, boring, and it's. But you know, Cade has definitely been uh, a great factor. But uh, you could go ahead. Yeah, so I think that would be something I would like to see more from them, especially if they are going to try Killian and Cade together. Is giving them more spacing. Killian's shooting has improved. I don't think he's still a guy you want really standing in the corner. But but you can stagger Cade and Killian, but I think playing, I mean, Grant is probably is a better rim protector than Kelly Olenek has been for most of his career. Yeah. Um, I mean, the downside is, are you asking him to do much too much um, on defense? So my thoughts on Cade are, I think he is an elite passer. Um, he is in the ballpark of guys like Lamelo Ball, uh, not as flashy as Lamelo Ball, but in terms of the vision, being able to set things up plays at a slower pace, but is always in control. I think a lot of people have compared him to Grant Hill. He doesn't have that kind of eye-popping athleticism, but I think people don't realize Grant Young, they think of older Grant Hill after the injuries, but young Grant Hill was like, um, really good. Not your, not your average 90s Duke player. Let's put it like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Kate isn't that. I think one guy I've seen a lot of when I've watched him is kind of Brandon Roy. Although again, mm-hmm. I think he has a higher ceiling as a passer. Um, I Brandon Roy. Yeah, and, and I think Kate is just he's not he's not going to have those plays like Anthony Edwards where he's dunking. Even as a passer, he's not going to have the plays like Lamella Wall where it's the underhand no look stuff in transition. The like it, Kate is also a solid ball handler, but he's going to win with strength and beating you with slower pace more than Lamella is going to like cross you out of your shoes and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he does have that some of those guys is he's he's he can get to wherever he needs to go. I don't don't kid yourself on that whatever you think of his explosiveness uh, he's strong and physical enough to finish he's already a very reliable defender from what i've seen yes um so uh, it's just going to be one of those steadier climbs 
where like two years down the road, you're going to see this guy putting up 21, seven and five and be like, hold on, where did that come from? Right. And it won't be popping up on Twitter all the time as like Cade Cunningham just stole a guy's soul, but he's just going to be one of those guys that plays 10, 15 years, probably gets a few all-star games on his production uh, and is a winning player. So um, yeah, I mean, I, at this point I am at the, before the draft, I had Cade one, Mobley two and Jalen green three. Um, and then at four is where I felt like there was a drop off, um, you know, where I think I, I am pretty close to putting Mobley at one. And I think at this point gun to my head, I'd probably have to, but that's mm-hmm. not a knock on Cade as well. Uh, and I think, again, I'll say it again. I think those top four guys all have the potential to be multi all-stars. I think Suggs is, is going to improve too. And I've seen a lot of, I think a guy like Franz, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but from what he's shown, it's more than even I expected. Oh, same. Um, that so, was one of the things like, I'd see you tweet that a lot. I was like, ah, I'm not sure how I feel about Franz. I haven't watched not, a lot of I, I'm not the biggest fan. I was very critical. I was very critical. I'm not the biggest yeah. fan. We weren't the biggest Franz supporters. But and it's fair enough. Right? He impressed I, me. Yeah, and, and, I, I, and I think the big question with him was shooting. You know, he had the, mm. Against UCLA, I think he was one for eight from three. Game we lost by two points. Um, but... Um, you know, that's, that has come along. But the, the point I'm making is I think that saying Cade is even the second best player in this draft class, you could be just as high as him as you were pre-draft, and I am, and say that yeah. because of just how great Evan Mobley has been. Uh, but this, again, I'll say it again. I think this could be the best draft class since 2003. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, Cade, Cade reminds me a lot of uh, Brogdon. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of things that Brogdon could do use his size, um, defend, shoot the three at a good clip. I th- I see a lot of Brogdon and maybe an all star version of Brogdon, right? So we'll, we'll see More how that passing, works. right? That I think yeah. is the bigger difference, but yeah, I, I think that's a good call, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Nolan, go ahead, take it over with the uh predictions with today's games. All right, so uh, we play who today? The Suns, right? The Suns, yes, sir. All right. So what we've been doing is picking who we think will win or lose this game. And if we're all tied, we go with the tiebreaker. So, Stacey, since you're the guest, we'll give you first first pick on who you think is going to take the dub or L. Um, it's um, We did – we cut – Devin Booker's Thanksgiving feast short. Um, so he's definitely not going to be caught off guard. <laughs> they're playing too well right now. Um, the Knicks have showed up against good teams. I don't think they're going to get blown off the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think they're end up, I think that the Knicks play them tough in the first half. I think they'll make some adjustments to take care of Booker and Paul on defense. Um, but ultimately I think there's a third quarter collapse um, you know, the Suns push it to something like 15 to 18. The bench makes it close and they probably lose by single digits and maybe have a chance late, but the Suns get a couple of stops. Uh, and, um, but yeah, I think, I think the Knicks will not, we won't be dejected, um, but the Suns are too, playing too well right now for me to pick against them. Fair enough. How about you, Hamza? Well, um, I think the Suns are playing extremely well. Um, but I think that I think it will be more of a war back and forth from um, third quarter. We'll probably slip a little bit, catch back up in the fourth quarter uh, around the six minute mark. Tibbs inserts uh, Randall for a hot OB, <laughs> but Randall saves us and, and, and finishes off the game strong. Um, I'll go with that prediction. Probably win by 
I say we win by, I said five last game. I say that we win by two. I say, you know, we win by two this game. I'm kind of with Stacey here. I think the Suns are just too hot right now. This will be the first game I picked against the Knicks all season on this pod. But um, I'm going to say Knicks lose by about five to six. Okay, okay. I can, I can never, you know, every time we do this, I can never pick the Knicks to lose. Like, we're going 82. I know, I know. That's, that's <laughs> why hard. I had to switch it up. <laughs> we couldn't both pick I just can't, I can't vision us losing the games. Like, I, I don't want it to happen. It's just <laughs> what I, I'm predicting will happen, unfortunately. I'll be happy to be wrong. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, Stacey, it's been a fucking honor to have you on our show, man. You're one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug or any candles or anything you want to throw out there? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at StacyPatton89. Um, you know, I write for the Strickland and I'm a co-host of Pod Strickland with Poo, who I think um, a lot more people know than me. Um, you know, it's weird. I think he's the, the more uh, level-headed one on Twitter, whereas I'm a little bit more over the place. But on our on pod, pod, I think the roles are flipped. He's the ranter and yeah, I'm kind of yeah. more the, uh, the straight man. <laughs> um but um and then the other thing is um we should have it coming out this week but i'm um i'm doing the believe sports knicks podcast with uh with matt matthew miranda one of the, the oh, cool. great writers from the strickland we did we did one episode i don't know why we haven't released it yet last week um but it's kind of a recap on on a, on a lot of stuff um so that that's coming up but um but yeah thanks again for having me guys this was a uh, this was a lot of fun a lot of cool topics uh, and uh, yeah, it's great to finally be on the Corner Three Pod. Um, and, uh, and yeah, a lot of fun. Looking forward to to more episodes in the future. Appreciate it. Make sure to follow. Make sure to follow me on Twitter. Make sure to follow Nolan on Twitter as well. Make sure to check out our website where we have episodes, articles coming up. And um, yeah, pre- yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate you guys for coming on.